When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight, unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your financial future. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much and welcome to Growing Your Wealth, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to invest better, live better, retire better, and give better. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. How you doing today, Brian? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that. I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. On today's show, Brian, we're going to be talking about the five primary areas that we can invest in. We're going to be talking about cash and cash equivalents. We've got insurance company products, also real estate and equities. But I want to start off today with bonds. Now, from previous shows, Brian, I understand that bonds is the biggest investment category out there. Yeah, it actually is. That's it was pretty surprising to me when I initially found that out. We've talked about this before, and and I do want to preface this by just saying that you know why why are we talking about these different areas? I know what cash is. I know what real estate is and so forth. Well, we're going to do a little deeper dive in. But one of the, the reasons I'm, I'm doing this is because people will say, okay, and I, I tell this story, maybe you've heard it before in a, a year ago or two years ago, but I remember this fellow came in and he was like, okay. I said, what are you looking for? He says, well, I'm looking for investment that has a really high rate of return. I said, well, what kind of rate of return are you talking? Oh, you know, like 20, 25%. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I want to cash flow because I need the cash flow. And I was like, oh, okay. Anything else? He says, yeah, it's got to be liquid. You know, if I need the money, I need it to be liquid. I need to get to it. And, and I don't want to take too much risk. And at that point, I was like, okay. And so I said, would you like it to be tax-free too? He says, oh, you can do that? I was like, no. I can't do that. You can't get all of that. You you can't get any, you know, really. I mean, look at the investments. Everything has pros and cons. And so adjusting expectations. Another story, I, you know, before we start talking about bonds is I understand that things can change over your lifetime where you're at. You know, if you're 35 years old, you want to take more risk because you can replace that. If you're 75, maybe you don't. But what's happened, what happens with a lot of people is that they feel a certain way with their investments. So I had this couple. And, and they were very conservative. I mean, that for year after year, they were like, okay, we can't lose anything. We're close to 80 years old. Please don't put us in it. I lose my mind when the market goes down and just on and on and on for year after year. And so they were in a conservative portfolio. And so this last year, the market you know went up and they came in. They were like, well, you know, I've been talking to my friends and they had higher returns than we have. And how come our returns aren't as high? <laughs> just, okay, hold on. Remember the last four years we've been talking and you said, absolutely don't put us into anything that could lose money? Well, yeah, but it didn't lose money. Well, last time I checked, I can't go on Amazon and buy a time machine, go back and say, what, what is going to happen? Let's go backwards yeah. and do that. So at some point, we have to determine what mix of growth security, liquidity, cash flow, taxation, 
savings, all the, what is our optimal mix? What is just right? Because there is no perfect investment, easy button investment that does everything. And, you know, it, it just occurs to me as I'm having these appointments, you know, we've, we've been having some really good run on the markets or, or real estate and stocks have been doing great. Uh, maybe bonds and cash and cash equivalents have not been and insurance company products, maybe somewhere in between. And so if you don't have the right risk tolerance, the right allocation of these different areas, you're probably going to be very disappointed. And so one of the things I like to ask is, okay, here we are. We're in, in the year that we're in. Let's say that we do what you just said and the market goes up 20% a year for the next two years and we have this meeting. What are you going to be telling me? And so we, we start talking about that scenario saying, well, I would expect that I would get a lot of the gains. Oh, all right. Well, you just told me you wanted it all conservative and you didn't want to lose anything. So we can't have both. So are you going to be disappointed if the market's up 40% and you're nowhere close to that? Well, that's a great question to ask yourself. If it's up 40%, are you going to be satisfied that the stuff that you're in isn't up that much because you were protected on the downside, but the markets did great? And, you know, you would have been better in the market, you know, with retrospect. Conversely, the same question has to be asked. What if the markets are down 40%? Are you going to be okay with the part that you have in the market? If it's 100% of in the market, you're down 40. Are you going to be okay with that? Well, generally the answer is no. <laughs> That's why we have a mix of different things. So let's say, okay, let's say that the portion that you're, of your assets that are in the market are down 40 and then other stuff isn't. Is that going to be okay with you? And generally the answer would be yes because, you know, you're not taking as much on the downside. So we have to ask that question of us. If the market is way down, are you okay? If, the, you know, if you're not, then you're probably too aggressive. If the market ends up being way up in the next couple of years, are you okay with what you didn't get because the stuff you're in was protected on the downside? We're talking about the five primary areas that we can invest in with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And in this first segment, we're exploring bonds a little bit. Brian, I understand as opposed to uh, buying the upside of something that with bonds, you're actually buying the debt of a company. That's really what it is. Yeah, it can be the debt. Uh, yeah, bonds are interesting. And again, they're the biggest asset class out there. They're, if you add up the value of all bonds out there, which are, are debt instruments, it greatly exceeds the value of all stock market investments, equity investments, which is interesting that uh, there's, there's more of that. Bonds are kind of like you're, you're the bank. Mm-hmm. You're lending somebody money and they their bonds with you, their promise to you is that they will pay you back with interest. The way the bond market works is generally it's broken into different classes of bonds, uh, credit qualities. Now, these credit qualities are provided by outside entities, which sometimes fail us. I just watched The Big Short recently, Mm -hmm. and there was a massive failure where they packaged a bunch of poor credit bonds all together. And they said, well, as a group, we put a bow on this pile of junk. Now it's AAA rated. And they always call them AAA when all the components were not AAA. So that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, not to get off too far off topic there. Bonds, the more likely that borrower is to repay the bond and interest, the higher the credit quality. So AAA is supposed to be the best, AA, single A, then it goes triple B, double B, single B, triple C, et cetera. And once you get down into the, the double B uh, area, now you're, you're looking at something called junk bonds. So if you're buying it, you, you call it a junk bond. If you're selling it, you call it a high yield, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> 
So it's it's uh, you got to watch those terms. But yeah, bonds can be borrowing by the government. So the government funds itself by issuing bonds, which are promises to repay interest and principal at varying levels. They can have, uh, bills, notes, bonds for you know from one month to thirty years. And so that's that's the big borrower out there. You could have municipalities, cities uh, issuing bonds. You can have a school district issuing bonds, sewer facilities. You can have uh, corporations. Uh, corporations generally don't go to the bank to borrow money. They issue bonds because they can pay a lower interest rate. And so Apple wants to raise a bunch of money to, to buy back its own shares. They'll, they'll issue a bond at 2% or whatever. They can't get that at the bank, perhaps. And so they issue these bonds. So bonds are that, you know, if, if you pay a, a certain amount for a bond and you hold it to maturity... And let's say that the stated yield is is 3%, then that's going to be your return. But if you sell that bond while it's not matured, let's say it's a 10-year bond, Mm -hmm. and you paid for it when interest rates were 3%, and now new bonds are issued at 5%, and you're five years into this thing, well, when you go to sell that bond, because people can get a higher paying bond elsewhere, you'd have to sell it at a discount. So as interest rates go up, you lose money on a bond that you own if you sell it. Now, if you hold it to maturity, you're going to get your 3% in this example if they pay it. You won't get the new 5% that everybody else is getting. So you're, you're either going to sell it at a discount or you're going to receive below market interest. So neither one's great. So bonds are not a great investment in a rising interest rate environment. So with bonds, as you said, they are rated. You've got AAA, AA, you've got B, and the higher the rating, the less risky, but also they would pay the least, right? That's exactly right. So you say, well, I want, I want secure bonds. Great. Go buy a treasury, a 10-year treasury. Well, yeah, but they only pay like one point something percent and inflation's, you know, off the charts. I'm absolutely losing money, aren't I? I'm like, Yeah. But they're liquid. Yeah, but you can sell them, but you might sell them at a discount. So I I just looked, you know, recently uh, because interest rates have been rising, I noticed that the aggregate bond index lost money. Now, people are, you know, we're making good money in the stock market and their real estate's up and they go, but my account's not really doing well because my I took my investments to the strip mall advisor and he said, because I'm 60 years old, I need 60% of my money in bonds. And I just realized that 60% of my money lost money. Like, yeah. And we had record inflation. Yep. <laughs> I don't like this. I, I wouldn't either. So that's another reason we're talking about this topic today. I want to talk about some of the alternatives to the biggest investment class there is, which is bonds, which you just got to ask yourself uh, if you want. You know, I don't have anybody coming to me. Could you just give me a big portfolio of bonds? <laughs> because I think interest rates are going to drop in the upcoming years. And I want to get in now when it's the timing's good. I mean, can you imagine that conversation? I've not run into anybody recently that says, Brian, I really think interest rates are going to plummet from where they're at now. We're not going to see increases in interest rates. I need to get heavy in the bond market while the timing's right. And you might be laughing at that, but if you're buying, if you hold bonds, you're doing exactly that. If you're holding a, an overweight to them, I'm not saying they're they're bad. I'm just saying you're taking a risk if interest rates go up. And if you know interest, if you feel like you know interest rates are going up, probably not a good idea to have 60% of your money in bonds. Just saying, just trying to use some logic here. I don't know you. I haven't looked at your portfolio. We haven't had this discussion. We need to have that. But think about that. Doesn't it make sense that you wouldn't be in something you, you feel like has a almost certainty of, of doing poorly? 
That's Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And we've been talking about the five primary areas that we can invest in. And we started off with bonds in this segment. Once again, if you have $500,000 or more and uh, you would like to invest that, you're looking for a new financial advisor, you can call Madrona Financial and get your complimentary as a no-cost, no-obligation financial review. Be sure to ask for your financial review. It's not going to cost you a thing by calling 844-MADRONA. You can also request your review online at madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more of our show after this. Tired of getting only half the story? We've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And in this segment, we're talking about the five general areas someone can invest in. And Brian, uh, this last segment, we talked about bonds and some of the reasons why you wouldn't want to do the bonds. I do want to talk about the pros of bonds, though. But first, let's reiterate some of the reasons why you would not want to do a bond. Yeah, some of the reasons you would not want to do a bond is because you think interest rates are going to increase. And if they're going to increase, then you won't be getting the new market rate for bonds. Or if you need to sell your portfolio, you will sell it at a discount. You'll lose money on the principal. So those are some of the reasons why you would not want to do, and that's probably the primary reason, why you would not want to do uh, bonds because you might think we're in a rising interest rate environment. I don't know a lot of people that think we're not. And so that would be that. Like we've always said, every investment has pros and cons. There might be certain categories of bonds that might do well. For instance, inflation-protected bonds might do well in in a rising interest rate environment. There might be certain kinds of uh, higher-yielding bonds or, or particular areas of the bond market that can be strong, whereas the overall market isn't. So bonds aren't just a investment. There's all kinds of different credit qualities, types of bonds, some that may be undervalued to the market and so for. So there may be opportunities in bonds. It's a tough one to find them because most bonds change their value in unison with one another based on what the interest rates are doing. So those are negatives. On the positive side, bonds can be very liquid. You can have a bond portfolio and you can call up your stockbroker or whatever, or maybe have a mutual fund or ETF of bonds and you can sell them and turn it into cash. So that's an advantage of bonds. Another reason, the reason why they're in, they're so heavy in many people's portfolios is because they're not as volatile. They're not very volatile. When the markets were way up, bonds don't change that much. When markets are way down, most bonds don't change that much. So they add a level of stability to a portfolio that otherwise would be all in the stock market, for instance. And so we know stock markets are very volatile. Bond markets are not so volatile. They take a while. If they're going down, it's a very slow bleed. You hardly even notice it. If they're going up, it's a it's a very slow incline there. You hardly notice it. And so they're not going to move as much as other things. So as we mentioned, pros and cons, that's kind of my summary on the bond side. So that wraps it up with bonds. Uh, Brian, again, we're talking about the five primary areas that we can invest in. Let's jump into uh, equities. By definition, equity is uh, typically referred to as the amount of money that would be returned to a company's shareholders if all of the assets were liquidated and all the company's debt was paid in the case of a liquidation. So what are some examples of equities? Okay, so equities, we're talking about the stock market, essentially. Mm -hmm. So how does that happen? So a lot of interesting nuances to invest in the stock market 
America that people may not understand. So some people think that if you invest, let's let's use Microsoft as our example. So, you know, you might say, well, I believe in Microsoft and, and I want to buy my Microsoft stock because if I sell it, it'll hurt the company and all this stuff. And I don't want to take money out of you know their pocket and so forth. When you invest in equities, you're not investing with that company, you invest in a portion of the ownership of that company, but the company does not receive the money that you pay for that stock. And so what happens is, you know, when Bill Gates, say, created Microsoft and so forth, and they went public, they did not put 100% of the ownership out there for people to buy. Obviously, Bill Gates and Paul Allen and, and others retained most of the shares of that company. Maybe they put out a fraction of the shares. I don't know how much they put out. It could have been 10%. It could have been 20 It could have been 30 I don't know. But it was a fraction of the shares. So that's what's being traded on the, on the markets. So what they did is they would have come out with what's called an IPO, initial public offering, at some price. Now, the people that bought the shares through that, the money did go to the company or actually to uh, Gates and Allen probably or whoever. That went there. But after that, all the stocks are now traded on the secondary market. The secondary market is, for instance, I want to buy Microsoft. I don't buy it from the company. I don't buy it from Bill Gates. I buy it from Mrs. Nussbaum in Tallahassee who happened to be selling it that day. It's the secondary market. We're just trading with each other. Sometimes the shares can be increased over time through stock splits. We hear things about like stock buybacks where the company buyback, you know, is buying back its own shares, which sounds really weird. Why would Microsoft buy Microsoft's shares so that the remaining shareholders own a bigger piece of the pie? Because they might buy those shares and then get rid of them, uh, extinguish them, or they might offer them as incentives to their executives and so forth, stock options and so forth. So it's a very complicated kind of system that we live in with stocks, but essentially you're buying a share of the company that you're supposed to participate with their successes or failures. You know, certainly you can lose money on stocks. So when we talk about equities, we are primarily talking about uh, shares of stock. Yes, yes. We're talking about shares of stock. And, you know, that's a broad area. Uh, it's funny because people will say, oh, I hate this company. I hate that company. And it's like, well, what do you own in your 401k? The S&P 500? And I said, well, you probably own the company you don't like because <laughs> it's in there. Chevron's in there. If you don't like Chevron, if you don't like oil and gas stocks, uh, if you don't like Facebook, you know, Facebook's in the top 10. Uh, you know, whatever it is you don't like, you probably own a share of. So especially if you buy the total stock market index, there might be you know, 6,000 holdings in there of uh, publicly traded companies. So yeah, you probably own it. And so people own corporations. And that's the other thing about what's interesting about the discussion about corporations I always find is corporation this, corporation that. Well, corporations don't own themselves. They just don't. Uh, we own these corporations. So in the case of Microsoft, Bill Gates owns a lot of Microsoft. Uh, Melissa Gates owns a lot of Microsoft. We own a lot of Microsoft if we own the S&P 500. So it's people that own shares ultimately and not companies that own their own shares. The, the company is just the, the conduit, essentially. We own the shares. We with, I say that, you know, if, if the investors out there combined don't own a majority of, of these public trade companies, they're usually uh, controlled by a smaller group of people. But that is the fact there. So yeah, I am talking equities, whether it's U.S., foreign, emerging markets, it's large cap, mid cap, small cap. Most equities are owned in U.S. dollars, uh, ETS, mutual funds, 
options and direct ownership. U.S. dollars, you can own equity in international dollars on international exchanges. Uh, In the U.S., typically they're converted to dollars. So for the purpose of this discussion, Brian, uh, I mean, equities equal the stock market. Let's talk about some of the reasons why you would not want to invest in equities. Yeah, the primary reason someone would not want to invest in equities is volatility. Of all the areas we're talking about, generally equities are the most volatile. They can go up the most, but they can go down the most. We all know this. We know that equities can turn on a dime. Uh, We've seen it. If you've been around long enough, some young people think all equities do is go up, up, and up. The first time they ever thought about the stock market was 2009 or 10 or 11. And uh, well, stock market just goes up and real estate just goes up. Isn't that the way of things? And like, well, and then the the next generation might remember, no, I think equities are the worst thing ever. I, I invested in 2000. I got clocked. And right when I started to recover, 2008 happened. And then I bought a house in 2006. And I think equities and real estate are the dumbest thing anybody could ever do in their lifetime. Okay, so depending on when you uh, got into uh, investing, you might have a very different opinion. So somebody 25 might have a very different opinion from somebody that's 40 or somebody that's maybe my age that remembers, you know, houses that were, you know, $50,000 in Kirkland or Bellevue or whatever, or stock markets that were two or 3000 in the Dow when now they're well over 30000 So, you know, we might all have different opinions, but we all remember stock market crashes. It's funny when I talk to clients, you know, like, well, you know, your market's way because they, they get they freak out when the market's down five or 10 percent. And it's like, well, I never heard from you all the times it went up five or 10 percent. And there's been a lot of those times. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't really notice that. But the time it went down five percent, 10 percent, I'm freaking out. I'm like, OK, we tend to remember the drops. Uh, the most. And sometimes we need a little perspective on that. You got to look back at you know what your investments have done over the long haul and are you ahead? Because you can't avoid the losses in the short term. Now, if you sell, you're going to lock those losses in. If you don't, then you, you, know, you, you roll through it. Stock markets generally go up over time. As I always remind people, I remember when the Dow was 1,000 and now it's in the 30s. So clearly it went up over that time period. It doesn't go up in a straight line though. So the big detriment is volatility. You're going to have crashes. You're going to have corrections and whatever you want to call them. The markets are going to go down at various times and you maybe can't predict it. Well, I know you can't. No one can tell me what the market's going to be a year from now. No one knows. And so we just have to know, are we in the market for the right reasons? And do we feel like uh, the percentage we have of our portfolio is that proper for us in the market? So those are some of the reasons why you may not want to invest in equities. Brian, can you tell me some of the reasons why you would want to have equities in your portfolio? Yeah, clearly growth. I just mentioned, I remember the Dow at 1,000 and now it's over 30. So I wish I'd put a lot of money, I had a a lot of money back then, which I didn't. And I wish I'd put it in the market, right? Because it it went way up over time. So clearly the opportunity on the upside is the highest of all the five categories we're going to be talking about today uh, is being in the market. Markets are also liquid. You know, you might have a stock, you go, I wish I never bought this stock. And I'll remind you, you could sell it today. Mm Mm-hmm. And now you don't, you're making the decision. Would you, and this is what I often ask is, I, I wish I didn't have the stock. And I said, well, how much do you have in there? And they say, well, 50,000. I say, if you didn't own the stock and I gave you 50,000 today to do anything in the world with, what would, would you buy that stock? And they look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, well, no, of course I wouldn't buy it. I can't stand this stock. And then the next question is, well, then why do you own it? You're making that decision. I can, I can put it to cash today. 
and put you in that spot. I just said, here's the cash. You don't own the stock. Would you buy the stock back? And you just said, heck no. Yet you own the stock and you don't want to sell it. Why? You could convert it to cash and do whatever you want with it. And they're like, well, then I'll lose money. I said, you've already lost the money. <laughs> it used to be worth 100 now it's 50 That money's gone as of today. What would you do today? Would you buy that stock back? And so that's a tough one for people. I, I really kind of <laughs> put it to them. I, so I have to apologize sometimes. But that is the question. If you own stock that you don't want to own, you got to ask yourself, would you buy it? And, and some people might say, yes. It, you know, I have this conversation with Boeing a lot. Uh, yes, I think it's going to come back up. It's got to come back up. Great, you would buy it again, so don't sell it. But if there's another company that you like, I would never buy this terrible company. Well, then maybe you want to think about getting out. We're talking about the five primary areas that we can invest in with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Once again, if you would like a financial review to get yours, no cost, no obligation, call 844-MADRONA. You can also request your plan online at madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more after this. Now, back to more of Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're continuing our discussion of the five general areas someone can invest in. And Brian, in this segment, we want to talk about real estate. I've heard that God's not making any more real estate at this point. And people feel that anything that you buy in real estate, it's sort of like, uh, you know, the golden touch. It can't do anything but go up. Is that always the case? <laughs> Nothing's always the case. Uh, there's always exceptions, as we know. If you've been around long enough, you you know, you remember different periods of time. Remember the last person to leave Seattle, turn off the lights? Yeah. And I was I was talking to somebody who was he was you know looking at some houses on Capitol Hill. He thought we're overpriced at thirty five hundred dollars, <laughs> and kind of kicking himself right now. I and bet. we laugh at that right now. And then and then remember uh, two thousand eight. You know you could buy lots in Snohomish County for easily twenty thousand from the bank. And now you kind of laugh at it. What do you mean twenty thousand for a lot? I mean that that's not even fifteen years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You could buy houses for under a hundred thousand uh, all over. And you know, there's there's points in times where real estate is you know residential real estate is what I'm talking about. There, there's all different kinds of real estate. It used to be the aw- most awesome real estate in the world was shopping malls. Who didn't want to buy into a shopping mall? That's really yeah. awesome. <laughs> Boy, those are dead these days. Gosh, they're, they're turning dead. them into, you know, apartment complexes. They are. And so, you know, they, they, that even ebbs and flows. Different classes of real estate, different areas. It used to be awesome to buy, you know, in certain areas of the Northeast or the Midwest. And now maybe not so much. And certainly you could buy real estate in Florida and Texas uh, years ago for a song. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know you could buy 3,000 square foot, 4,000 square foot houses in Texas for a little over a hundred grand. And and that wasn't that long ago. And so, yeah, real estate is certainly an interesting asset class. The one that's often neglected by the investment community. So if you go to the, I'll call it the strip mall advisor and they'll say, all right, you're 60 years old. We got to put you 60% in bonds and 40% in stocks. And you might look at me and go, well, what about real estate? Well, you don't need that. (laughs) We don't do real estate. I mean, that's, that's an alternative asset class that we wouldn't want to do. And I would contend that real estate, if you add up the value of all investment real estate in the United States and compare it to the value of all equities in the United States, they aren't that far apart. So for us to ignore real estate as a significant asset class is wrong. And that's why I made it one of my five areas to invest uh, for today's show. 
And basically, there are two types of real estate that we're going to be talking about here, active and passive. So let's start with active. What is active real estate? Active is where you are in charge. You're either in charge as a landlord or you're in charge of your property manager, but you're in charge as opposed to passive real estate where you have no say. So active real estate is traditional. I own some rental houses. I own a fourplex. I own a strip mall. I own five of us got together and built a a self-storage that we own together. That's the kind of thing uh, that active real estate can be. It can be many different things, uh, but generally speaking, it's the smaller stuff like that, unless you're a big player. Most of uh, the uh, industrial type ownership, like an industrial park, a large apartment complex, that kind of stuff is owned in a group thing. Maybe uh, REIT owns it or something like that on the passive side. But uh, active real estate is, is really what you're in charge of management. All right. So with active real estate and an active real estate investment, you get to change the toilets. You get to deal with the tenants. You get to deal with the trash and all the things that come with that. But at some point in time, people sort of age out of wanting to do that. But there is an opportunity for them to switch into passive real estate. And I understand that many times with passive real estate that you can receive the same sort of benefit monetarily as you could with active real estate. Yeah, you know, with active real estate, it's interesting. It's, it's like owning a business. I mean, you, most people that have been successful in real estate, and there's a lot of people, especially in certain parts of the country that have been, they treat it like a business, and that's why they're successful, and they, they understand it. I tried to do it myself. I wasn't very good at it. I would just, you know, I don't know how to fix stuff, and, and I wasn't very good at selecting the best tenants or, or knowing which real estate to buy. I knew how to do it, but I didn't, it wasn't my thing. One of the, the big advantages to active real estate is that's probably where you can make the most money in real estate. The highest upside is the one where you're the most involved and you find the right properties. You you know how to run that real estate business of yours. If you're in certain parts of the country, you, you've benefited from that just automatically where your real estate's gone way up in value, way past what you ever thought it probably would be. And so we look in our backyard here in Bellevue. I mean, to think that the average house there might be a million and a half dollars, it's just mind boggling to where they used to be. And so you can get lucky or good, you know, or a combination of both. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, we got a lot of, a lot of that. I got, and we, I have these conversations with people that own real estate. They attribute it to uh, hard work and luck. And like, well, that's probably pretty accurate. Good timing, you know, that's that's accurate. But there may come a point in your life where increasing your potential rate of return, owning your own active real estate is more than what you want to do. It's time for you to retire from being a landlord. And of course, that's where you may get into passive real estate. Well, with active real estate, I mean, it's appreciated so much in this part of the country that when I sell it, I would be concerned about the taxes. So what is the procedure for turning active real estate into passive real estate where you may enjoy some tax advantages? Yeah, so that's the Section 1031 exchange. We talked on the show a lot where you can sell your investment real estate and replace it by buying other investment real estate if you go through a qualified intermediary. And the problem is that, especially in this part of the country, I don't find anybody saying that they're finding good deals out there. Mm-hmm. They're just, they can't. There's too, it's the, it's too hot of a market. So you only have, you only sell your property, the money goes to the qualified intermediary. You have 45 days to find the replacement property and you realize you offered on two places and there were 30 offers and... <laughs> 
you know, the, the offers that were accepted were way more than you thought the properties were worth. And you're like, well, how am I supposed to compete in 45 days when everybody's trying to buy up property? It's almost impossible. So that's where we go to the Delaware Statutory Trust and where the property's already owned and they're, they're already established. And when you sell your property, you have access to whatever the inventory is of the DST investments. But these will be passive real estate going forward. You don't have to manage them anymore and you can retire from being a landlord. You can diversify your investments and in real estate and continue to receive monthly cash flow from your share of the rents, participate in any appreciation of that real estate and not have to pay the income tax upon your sale and potentially never if you eventually get the step up in basis. So how do you vet a DST? There are a lot of Delaware statutory trusts out there and uh, they're not all created equal. So what sort of vetting process do you go through to determine which are the good investments? Well, you have to have an extensive vetting process, not only of the properties, but of the sponsor, the, the expenses, the uh, track history, their exit strategy, reserves, type of property, where it's at in the country, all this different stuff, and then how it complements other DSTs you might be buying. So rather than buying, you know, somebody gave uh, brought in, you know, $4 million, I'm probably not going to put him into four apartment building DSTs. You know, I'm, I hope that I can get him into some other asset classes, maybe self-storage or industrial parks or grocery store chain, whatever it is. I want some other kinds of assets in there for asset diversification. I think that's just prudent. Or, you know, you may decide uh, there's one particular asset class, you want all your money into that, that's fine too. That's that's up to our discussions. So it's an art, not a science of doing the proper vetting. Not everybody's really good at that. We think we are very good at that. We've been doing this for quite some time and have placed a lot of money into DSTs, helping people that own investment real estate uh, diversify. All right, Brian, let's uh, switch to pros and cons here. What are some of the reasons or the cons that you would not want to own active real estate? Yeah, I thought we did pretty good on the pros. You know, we talked about some of what some of those positives are. Uh, I did mention step up in basis. Uh, I'll reiterate in the nine community property states, Washington's one of them, uh, when either husband or wife passes away and they own real estate that's appreciated, then all of the gains, all the capital gains that they would have paid and all of the depreciation they've taken that they would pay back as depreciation recapture is eliminated permanently from their income taxes. So when the surviving spouse or heirs get the step up in basis for the first person to die in a married couple, they get a 100% step up in basis on their real estate. And so that's a very important consideration that the income tax will be permanently eliminated from day one of when you owned your real estate. And so that's, that's huge. Now, the detriments are that DSTs are not liquid. You can't buy one and then two years later say, I'm going to sell it. Well, there isn't a secondary market for them. You've got to wait your generally four to 10 years to have access to that money. And even when you do have access, you're probably going to want to do another 1031 exchange into a DST unless you've, your state's had to step up in basis. So that's a big negative. Another negative is that you probably won't have as much appreciation on DSTs as you might with your own real estate because they're bigger, more kind of class A, we'll call it properties that aren't designed to be great buys. They're designed to help you stay rich, not get rich. So if you're still getting rich, keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But someday we want to retire and, and kind of preserve what we have. So they're, they're better at that because of the diversification and size of the projects. So those, those are two of them. Just They're not in your control, but you, do you really control real estate you own? I mean, I don't know. I guess you can control when you sell it. 
Uh, you can't with the DST. So that I guess that would be uh, another negative to them. But generally, people that have owned real estate a long time, it's appreciated and want to sell. They're like, well, I, I want the cash flow. I want the tax savings. I want to get out of the tax someday. I want the diversification. I want a different kind of life than I had when I was building my real estate empire. So there are a lot of reasons to do real estate. And we've been talking about active and passive real estate. Which one is right for you? Well, you have to sit down with someone who really knows knows about this topic and knows you to help you make the right decision. Once again, if you have $500,000 or more to invest, you'd like a comprehensive retirement review, you know, sort of a kick in the tires of the firm here at Madrona Financial, someone to take a look at what you've got and uh, decide whether or not there are any changes need to be made to that. Once again, doesn't cost you anything at all to get a financial review of what you've got. Call 844-MADRONA to get yours. 844-MADRONA, not going to cost you a dime. You can also request it online at Madrona financial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more after this. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And this segment, we're going to finalize our discussion of the five general areas we can invest in. And Brian, we've talked about bonds, equities, real estate. In this segment, I want to talk about insurance company products and cash and cash equivalents. So let's start off with insurance company products. What are some of the products that you could invest in? Yeah, the insurance company, as opposed to Wall Street, Wall Street, you know, can offer stocks and bonds, of course. And the insurance company uh, products, generally they can invest us in annuities and permanent life insurance as an asset class. And so the big difference between the two, Wall Street is generally much better at potential growth and liquidity. The insurance company products tend to be much better at security and cash flow. Now, when we're younger, we tend to want growth. We maybe don't need as much liquidity. Maybe we do. But uh, we tend to focus on growth, so we tend to have more real estate and uh, stock market investments. Uh, when we're older, we may want to add uh, more security and cash flow to that mix. It used to be we could use bonds to do that and cash and cash equivalents. I remember when cash and cash equivalents would pay 6%, uh, no risk. You're just in a money market getting 6%. Well, that was pretty good. Inflation was lower than 6 Yeah, that was a big win. Now that same investment might give you 0.06. I don't even know. You know, it's just you don't get any any, any return. Bond yields are way down too. So sometimes we have to look at now at the insurance company products for, again, either annuities or life insurance. So when we talk about annuities, we've heard the fellow that says he hates annuities and that's primarily, I understand, because he doesn't sell annuities. Actually, he does. He says, I found out. He hates that, annuities, but yet, yeah. He, he okay. does sell them. It's just so <laughs> disingenuous. Uh, anyway, everything has pros and cons, right? And yeah, everything right. has its place. I mean, I might be talking to somebody that can't take risk. They just can't take the, the thought of losing money. Well, gee, annuities are contractually say you can't lose money very often. So it's like, well, that's a good start. There's two general types of annuities, uh, the, at least the, what they're trying to accomplish. One is trying to accomplish a monthly payment to you for life. Who doesn't want that? Why is that a bad thing? I don't know. So monthly payment for life, it can be an increasing monthly payment for life. It could be a second to die increasing lifetime cash flow. Again, who doesn't want that? So that can be a very good thing. Another type of annuity is just one for accumulation. So somebody says, I want to invest some money. What's the potential for the highest rate of return with zero risk on the downside? Well, it's not a CD. It's not a money market. 
It's not a bond because bonds can lose money. It would be particular fixed index annuities. They, you know, they have a contractual floor zero and uh, some of them have very, very good potential upsides. Not as much as the gains in the market. So the other shows on the weekend that you hear, they say, oh, you get all the gains in the market with none of the risk and we'll give you great big bonuses and do all this stuff. They're not telling the truth. That's just a partial truth. That's yeah. mostly partial truths or, or I would call lies. And so you get a fraction of the increases. You can get a fraction of the increase in the market with no downside. That's great if that's what you're looking for. Safe money. So they're really good with security. They can be very good with cash flow. Uh, you can get better uh, guaranteed cash flow than you can with the other asset classes. So if that's your primary objective, then that's something you want to look into. And you can get the most upside of all the safe investments that I've seen out there. And there are also these, these things called variable annuities, which many times get a bad rap because some people say, well, why don't you just be in the market? Yeah, they're kind of a, a hybrid uh, between the stock market and the annuity world. I don't sell them. Uh, they generally have too high of fees. And so that that's my knock on them. There's also, uh, we talked about life insurance as an asset class. They uh, work in a somewhat similar way to annuities. There's an annuity type component to them, but they also add the life insurance, obviously. And then and uh, you do have to qualify for these physically. You have to pass physical. And then finally, the proceeds from them can be income tax free. So gains on the stock market, not so much. Or you know, annuity uh, income, not so much. Real estate rents, not so much. But life insurance, yeah, you can borrow against your life insurance proceeds. Or when you pass away, the proceeds are tax free. And so they add that tax free component. And sometimes we can use leverage to create premium finance, fixed index universal life to really supercharge tax-free returns and so forth, or use them in an estate and legacy plan. So that can be a very important asset class from a tax consideration. And so that's another area we can invest in. We're talking about the five primary areas that we can invest in with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. We've been talking about insurance company products here, annuities and life insurance. Let's switch to cash and cash equivalents. Under the heading of cash, Brian, what are the options? Yeah, you got cash, money market, savings accounts, checking accounts, CDs. We'll, we'll kind of roll those all together. And so, you know, one of the comments about that is people often come to me and say, oh, I feel terrible. And why? I've got 200000 sitting there doing nothing. I said, well, yeah, I mean, given the markets are up, I wish you just bought a bunch of Bitcoin or, you know, something. But we didn't know that at the time. And it's okay to have cash. There's a number of reasons. One's financial and non-financial. Uh, it just make, makes you feel better and more secure. And your spouse, you know, could take that into consideration. If you just feel like you need a particular cushion, then have that cushion. That's okay. Another thing is you don't want to invest cash if you don't know what you're going to do with it or if you're going to need it. Until you've determined that, it's probably not a good idea to just put it into something. Oh, I bought this 14-year annuity, you know, or whatever. <laughs> or I bought this piece of real estate in, in the Midwest. I can't sell it. You know, well, maybe you should have just kept it liquid because the advantage to cash and cash equivalents is they're liquid and they don't lose money. Now, they don't make much money at all. They don't keep up with inflation even close. Right. But temporarily, until you know what to do with it, it's okay to have cash. Brian, one of the advantages, it seems, of uh, cash and cash equivalents, I mean, th these are very liquid, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Uh, generally, it is. Unless you have a CD, you might have a five-year CD and you have to give up your earnings. Whereas uh, some of the other investments we've been talking about, bonds generally are liquid. Stocks are generally liquid. Real estate, uh, active real estate, generally not liquid. Uh, you can sell it, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of selling costs and so forth. It may not be a good idea, taxes and all that. 
you own passive real estate like REITs, they're generally liquid, private or public REITs. And DST is generally not uh, liquid because you got to wait for them to sell. Uh, with insurance company products uh, such as annuities, most annuities have a 10% liquidity feature per year. So you can get some money out and most people don't need all of their money all at, all in one year. So that, that can be a benefit of those. And so, you know, with a mix, you know, some people say, well, I can't have any DSTs or life insurance. They're, they're not liquid. I was like, well, how much were you plan on spending? I mean, your portfolio is $3 million. You're 70 years old. Were you going to need $3 million in any particular year? I'm like, no. Well, how, what's the max you might need? I don't know, a couple hundred thousand? I'm like, well, you know, two million of your portfolio is liquid and one million isn't. I think that's adequate. I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't need all of my assets to be liquid. Just as you don't need, you know, we're talking about the five areas. We're talking about bonds, equities, real estate, insurance company products, and cash and cash equivalents. Those are the big five. They all have positives and negatives. There are five things you're trying to generally solve for. We're trying to solve for growth. Do you have enough assets that can grow if the market's good where you would be satisfied that you got enough of that return? We're trying to satisfy, you know, take care of security. If the markets are down, do you feel like you did a, a good enough job allocating your assets to where you're not clobbered, to where you can't you know, make the comeback you need to do if markets are down? So that's, you know, they, they generally you can't buy one asset and go, boy, it has max growth and max security. Mm-hmm. That doesn't exist, okay? Mm-hmm. They're diametrically opposed, so you might have some of each. Do you have enough proper cash flow? Because what's the most important thing in retirement? I would say cash flow and maybe security. So if you got cash flow coming in, you can live, you can you can do what you want to do. If you don't, you're taking a big risk. So we got to solve again for growth, security, cash flow. There needs to be liquidity, but generally any proper mix of assets has liquidity, adequate liquidity. And finally, we got to look at the income tax component. So every one of these asset classes can work together. Maybe you don't need all of them. Probably you do. It might be a good idea to have all of them. I would love to have a portfolio that had proper amount of growth, security, liquidity, cash flow, and had a tax-free component or tax-deferred component like DSTs and life insurance, had cash flow like real estate and annuities, had security like maybe uh, cash cash equivalents and, and annuities, had growth potential like real estate and the stock market, the equities. I, I kind of want all of that in my portfolio. It's just a matter of what's the right percentage for you, what's the right mix, and then once you start looking at this, you got to have some qualitative analysis as to which are the best investments in each category. So the pros again, cash and cash equivalence is primarily going to be liquidity. Of course, with CDs, not quite as liquid, but money markets, cash, that sort of thing, very, very liquid. But then the detriment is just going to be basically, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's just going to be very, very low returns. But it could be a good place just to park money in the meantime until you figure out what to do with it. That's exactly right. It may be a, a temporary staging place, but we all need some amount of cash. I mean, nobody should be, uh, yeah, I'm worth uh, $6 million. I have a buck ninety-eight in my checking and savings account. <laughs> Account. That's probably not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, they probably shouldn't have five million dollars in right. cash either. Right. So there, there's a just right place, and and it's okay to have a little bit more than you think you might need if that gives you peace of mind. So uh, you know, investments are a tool. They're, they're a tool to security, uh, to to living, their the life we want to live. They're they can be a legacy asset, a charitable asset, and so forth. They're just a tool. We need to use the tools right. We have right. lots of tools. We talked about the five different big 
areas, and then within each are, are sub-tools to accomplish those goals. And if put, having a lot of money in the bank gives you the peace of mind, you pay off your house, and you go, well, I could have made more maybe in the market, but I like paying off my house and having 200000 in the bank. It makes me feel good. Well, then by all means, pay off your house and put $200,000 in the bank, earning 0.01%, because it makes you feel good and sleep at night. That's as important as maximizing your rate of return for many people out there, and that's okay to do. And those investments in those tools serve the uh, overall financial plan. They're just part of it. Once again, speaking of plans, if you would like a complimentary financial review, uh, sort of a look-see at what you've got there to see whether or not a plan might be right for you, call 844-MADRONA, 844-MADRONA. You can also request your complimentary, no-cost, no-obligation financial review by going to madronafinancial.com. That's madronafinancial.com. Out of time for this week, Brian. Thank you so much for your time. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency, and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation or diversification guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.